Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. This is the Pewter Post Game Show, where we will talk about a collapse of epic proportions by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were down, they were up seventeen to three at the half, and went on to lose 34-23, getting outscored 31-6 in the final two quarters of football. I'm your host, Matt Matera. Joining with me is Adam Slavon and Josh Capo, who, <laughs> during the game day show, said, who are these guys? And then, as you see on the sign there, oh, yeah, we know these guys. Adam, I think you said it on the game show and you said this started out as a feel-good family home movie and then <laughs> it turns into an absolute uh like jason Voorhees, freddy krueger style of slasher film it yeah. was repugnant that's the word i'm gonna use repugnant Going through all the memes and in the videos, the best thing I found was they had us in the first half. Not gonna lie, yeah. it was a complete mirage. And uh, Josh, definitely not just, the collapse. Josh, your overall thoughts. We can kind of take this game, you know, quarter by quarter. But before we get into that, just your your overall. Uh, like my brain is isn't really functioning anymore. Just seeing like how bad. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I like the pop culture reference in terms of like the movie. The one that comes to mind for me is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. If you think about the start of that movie, it's all black and white. It's all wholesome. It's uh, Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick, you know, oh, I love you. Everything's going to be wonderful. And then they get to Dr. Frankenfurter's home and it goes to color and it becomes this entirely different, very, for them, scary, but uh, very, very different movie. And, uh, and that was definitely, it was a tale of two halves. Um, I tweeted about this a little bit earlier, but I think I think this game really shows you the difference between what the Bucks' ceiling is and what their floor is, and that the floor is much different than the ceiling. Right, the ceiling was the first half; everything kind of went right. Uh, you know, the execution was fantastic, the play calling was improved, although not, although it's still not fan fantastic, um, and they were able to outscore a quality opponent seventeen to three. And then you saw the floor of the second half, where the offense gave away the ball more in the second half than it may have done the entire season prior. I'm sure I'm, I'm exaggerating that, but not by much. Um, the defense, I'm not even going to put this on the defense. I mean, they were put in an absolutely impossible situation, basically defending every drive on their, uh, on their side of the field. And the Bucks were outscored 34 to seven or 31 to seven in the yeah. second half. There, yeah. There's your difference. Thirty-one to right? six. They didn't even get the. Uh, they didn't even get the two-point conversion. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Thirty-one to six. So uh, it was just a complete collapse, and and it started right from, you know, like the the kickoff, right? Like uh, I want to say the the opening second half kickoff, or maybe it was the second yeah. one. Devin Tompkins, yeah. you know, tries to avoid a tackle. He ends up running backwards. He ends up in a, you know behind his own ten-yard line. Byron Leftwich decided, you know, a fourteen-point. Um, lead is enough for me to just try and run the ball on every first down and uh, led to extremely poor results, which is predictable. Uh, uh, the I, offense's execution started to wane. And so you got three and outs. You got a Giovanni Bernard didn't seem to know what play he was running on the Josh. I, I, I don't mean to cut you off my man, but it just <laughs> Adam had a great line at the end, at the end of the game with under two minutes, it's like third and one. And they ran it with Leonard Fournette, and he's like, "Yep, got to establish the run. Under two minutes left in the game, you're down by multiple scores. Not down the establish the run." <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's okay. Good. No, it's, yeah, it's a perfect line. It was a comedy of errors. Everything regressed. Special teams regressed. Fourth down decision making regressed. You're down by ten. You're down twenty-seven to seventeen with nine minutes left in the a little over nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. You've got fourth and one. You showed earlier in the game on not one, but two, fourth down, go for it. And they converted both times. Yeah. And you're not going to go for it yeah. there. You give the Bengals the ball back. They ran six minutes off the clock and destroyed any chance you had at, at winning the game. Like the fourth down decision-making regressed. 
the offensive play calling regressed. The defense started pressing because they had to, just like they have in every second half of the of the uh, the the season. It seems like they started to regress. The pressure on on Joe Burrow regressed. Tackling regressed. The offensive line's protection regressed. Yeah. Receivers started dropping balls. Stupid penalties. It. I, I can't think of a single bright spot in the second half other than maybe Russell Gage looks like he's healthy. A can't break catch, though. Oh, that was. <laughs> you got him. Yeah. It took, it I took mean, 47 they had... attempts to can break yeah. to show that he can make the one big catch. Yeah. They had <laughs> five turnovers in the second half. Like, truly unbelievable. I tweeted it out before. Just – when I didn't think the Bucs can do so, they outdid themselves. They outdid themselves. It was fascinating and, like, infuriating but fascinating at the same time. The way that they could not get out of their own way. That they consistently turned the ball over in so many different ways. So, to your point, you really can't blame the defense that much, Adam. I mean, no. you're starting every every drive in that second half. Was at the 30, the 35, the 25. Like, you can only keep the Bengals down for so long, and you're not doing them any favors by letting them start in your territory every single time, including the fact that the damn onside kick, they were already over midfield. Like, just nonstop. Yeah, go ahead. And uh, sorry to cut you off. No. I just thought it was so fascinating. Like, Burrow only averaged 5.1 yards an attempt. The longest offensive play they had was 19 yards. The Bucks' run D actually stopped them, only held them to 53 rushing yards. Like the defense, they were just put in such bad spots by all the turnovers, and it just ended up costing them. Yeah, the one thing I will say about the defense is they had, uh, I want to say, three critical penalties that contributed yeah. to Bengals' points. So, you know, Joe, Joe Burrow decided on, on a third and, I don't know, third and or something like that to uh to you know like start doing laps towards his own goal line right like just i'm gonna take a leisurely jog from like our own or from the bucks 20 back to the mid midfield finally they got a sack and that would have it would have been a you know brought up fourth down it would have taken them out of scoring position and this was before things got i mean they were getting out of hand at that point but this could have been the turning point right yeah. Levante David gets called with a, a dumb penalty, right? Then yeah. uh, Carlton Davis, I want to say a little bit later on that same drive. And Carlton had a, a great game, right? He Up against Jamar, Jamar Chase. Chase. He really did. He was all over Chase. Chase had, you know, he, he ended up with, I think, seven catches, 60-some-odd yards and a touchdown. Most of that production came against anybody other than Carlton Davis. Yes. Davis had him, had him covered all night, was physical at the catch point prevented Chase from making so many of those signature, you know, contested catches. Um, but on this one particular play, he ends up getting helmet to helmet, creates another first down. The Bengals ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive. Uh, and then later on, Will Golston got drawn off sides. I want to say with about four minutes left on the clock uh, on the drive that really kind of put everything to, away on a fourth and one um, where he, he fell for a little uh, leg action that joe burrow did and i mean yeah. clearly just somersaulted over to the bengal <laughs> side <laughs> so yeah i mean uh it, it, i was tasked with most impressive this week and uh oh first half i had i had my right. list Tom the Brady, second Mike half, Evans. yeah the <laughs> second half i sprained a finger hitting the backspace button <laughs> <laughs> uh let's talk a little bit about what went right for the Bucks in the first half and then what they weren't doing in the second half that made it kind of all spiral um, out of control. Before that, though, of course, got to remind everybody that the presenting sponsor of the Peter Report podcast and the Peter Post Game Show is Celsius Energy Drinks. We love them for so many reasons, starting with the variety of flavors that they have. Even when the Bucks lose egregiously and in terrible, terrible calamities, uh, we still keep the vibes very high here and I would recommend getting the Arctic Peach or Tropical Vibes. A ton of different flavors. You can go Sparkling Wildberry, uh, Peach Mango, Classic Orange, um, Watermelon, Watermelon Berry as well. That's one that I've been um, drinking 
more lately. And the key is this is the healthy version of an energy drink. Seven essential vitamins, zero sugar, zero preservatives. Um, none of that post-energy drink crash you might get with other products. It's just the perfect thing to get you through your day. It's great to substitute it for a coffee. I know Scott Reynolds and America's favorite backup quarterback, actually the world's most favorite quarterback, backup quarterback, Blaine Gabbert. Um, he substituted it for coffee as well. Um, so go to the Celsius store locator, check out where you can uh, find a Celsius energy drink near you at your local bodega. And then when you find out that you love Celsius and we know that you will do the subscribe and save over on Amazon, have it shipped to your house, get it in bulk. I recommend getting the variety pack. It's brighter than the spice of life. You can enjoy every single type of Celsius energy drink, have it sent to your house or apartment every one, two, three weeks, whenever you want it. Just make sure you're drinking Celsius Energy Drinks, the official sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast. There's some more flavors there, keeping the vibes very high. That's what we're going to do on this show. We'll talk about the one good moment for the Bucks that was over in the first half, Adam. Um, in your opinion, you know, we watched the game together on here on a bit of a delay, but that's no big deal. Um, what exactly was Tampa Bay doing right? that we hadn't seen in recent weeks. Let's talk specifically on the offense. We can get to the defense too. But like, what did Byron Leftwich actually do correctly that we hadn't seen from Byron Leftwich since, I don't even want to give him credit for the Germany game, since week one. Yeah, um, I think it definitely starts with like the blending of play calling on offense. Mixing up the play action passes in the beginning, it really, <clears throat> it was like a different element of the offense that we really haven't seen. And I also think the blending of no Julio, who's going to be that third option in the passing game. It ended up being Russell Gage, not just in the first half, but the second half as well. He was the only one that really put points on the board. And the targets were spread 12 to Gage, 10 to Evans, and 8 to Chris Godwin. And then also having the run plays, not relying so much on the screen. It, it was a different offense that we've been accustomed to seeing, but it only lasted for a half. Yeah, it was very, it was a fleeting moment, you know, it was just like a, a summertime fling, you yeah. know, not a, uh, not a full on relationship. <laughs> um, Josh curious your thoughts watching it, um, separately from the live stream. I mean, there's a lot more motion, which was beautiful throwing it play action. We kind of talked about this when you joined on at halftime, but it was just kind of one of those things where. Hey, this is great. This is working. They're moving the ball down the field. They trusted analytics going for it on fourth down. And then just didn't do any of that in the second half. Like, no. why? No, I, I, you know, we talked a little bit about it at the half and, and it, it played out exactly how we feared, which was they had a 14 point lead. So they decided to start calling plays like they had a 30 point lead. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, it's, that combined with a few just, you know, bad execution, just mental mistakes quickly snowballed into a comedy of errors. Like that's the best term I have for it. Um, you had, you know, uh, first down run for zero yards, second down, you know, uh, incompletion. So now you're facing third and 10. Yeah, you can't convert the third and 10. So now you're giving the ball back to Cincinnati. And you're, you're giving it back to them in the weirdest ways. You know, I guess you could say technically the Bucks went for it on that fourth down right at, you know, at the beginning, because you assume that that was a design play to Gio Bernard, although right. somebody didn't tell Gio Bernard about it. Um, and, but I, I would have rather they just lined up and gone for it in a traditional way. You know, yeah. I think that they, there would have been a much higher probability of success. And, uh, you know, you just and, and that the dichotomy between the Bucks and the Bengals, like the offensive play calling. Right. I, I haven't gotten all the way through Cincinnati's, but, you know, I'm at um, what is it? I'm at where Cincinnati went up 34 to 17. OK, so which gets out of the, you know, the uh, neutral situations. So yes. looking at neutral situations where basically one team was it not two minute. Um, situation at the end of the first half or the end of the game and where no team is up by 14 points or more, the Bengals passed the ball 12 times on first down, ran the ball nine times. Meanwhile, the Bucks, I've got it. Uh, what is it? 
something like uh, before they got in that situation, it was like 13 passes to 14 runs, you know, and that that's a big difference. And it goes back to uh, Adam. I love the stat you brought up. It was one that I caught myself, you know, Joe Burrow had almost 40 attempts and less than 200 yards passing. But when, when <laughs> you get, yeah, when you get six to seven yards on most of your first down passes, second down runs become very easy. You don't have to have these large explosives and especially when you have a short field, you know, and, and I think that goes to why you see the Bengals as one of the best offenses in the NFL. And they are one of the offenses that passes the most on first down in neutral situations versus the Bucks, which is legitimately one of the worst offenses in the NFL. And by points, I think. Uh, yeah, they hit here. their quota. They're, uh, they're yeah. done. You know, they're good to go. We hit 17. <laughs> All right, boys. Good uh, good half. We're done for the day. We're going to get out of work early. We scored 17. <laughs> yeah. There are only three teams in the NFL that have scored less points than the Bucks this year by my count. The Rams are one. Yeah. The Rams and uh, Den- Denver are tied for the worst at 218 points. I think the Houston- Jets got to be close. Oh, nope. Houston. Yeah, <laughs> Now yeah. Houston at 235, and then the Bucks are four points behind the Pittsburgh Steelers with Matt Canada as an offensive yeah. coordinator. Um, and That's the Bucks brutal. have scored 247 points on the year. Speaking of a- Canada, we have a, a couple of super chats to get to. One of them oh, is do it. Canadian. Uh, this one is American. Thank you, Eric, for the 999 super chat. Uh, Eric Collison. Eric says the defense was put in terrible positions, but we all watched the offense turtle uh, start going into the predictable offense we had seen. So, yeah, once again, and this kind of goes on top of what Eric was saying, five turnovers in the second half, four turnovers in the third quarter. I haven't been covering. I've been lucky enough to cover football for a couple of years. I watched football my entire life. You guys watched a lot of football. I have never in my life seen something like that where they turned it over every single time. And, you know, it started with the Giovanni Bernard Giovanni Bernard fumble, which Todd Bowles said in, in the post-game press conference that um, Giovanni Bernard just straight up just didn't catch it. But watching those slow-mo replays, he didn't even know the ball was coming. So there had to be some type of miscommunication there. Um, and then you look at all of the other turnovers. And again, I don't blame the Bucks defense. Can you get on the Bucks defense for, you know, the offense turned the ball over and then the ball goes right into Sean Murphy Bunting's hands and he's not able to get the interception? Or they do, they try to, <laughs> Burrow does the underhand throw and JTS has it and goes, nope, I'm going to knock it away instead of trying to intercept it. Yeah, sure. But you got to take baby steps with this defense. They got one interception. That's a hell of a day. Uh, for them but then the rest is on the offense but yeah i'm with you i mean the bucks don't even get into that fake punt situation if they don't go three and out on the first drive and then the three and outs just absolutely snowballed from there adam i I don't know what you saw but like to just so quickly regress and to just go back to the screen game and the running game like we make jokes about up they're going to go run the ball again, and then they just do it. So yeah, I don't know how much we can really talk about the defense. Like, they picked on Sean Murphy bunting. You can take this any direction you want. If you want to stick with the offense, or you want to talk a little bit about the defense. They they picked on Sean Murphy bunting, but, you know, that is what it is. Again, if the Bengals have to drive 80 yards down the field, who knows how many times they reach the end zone. But we never had to answer that, except for the last drive of the second quarter where they kicked the field goal. So, I mean, the turnovers yeah. was the name of the game. So Coach Bowles mentioned this last week, and definitely the case this week, the Bucs just really beat themselves. Offense, defense, special teams, they had the game fully in control. They killed the time of possession. I think one time we mentioned it was like 15 minutes Bucks to like six minutes Bengals, 10 first downs to three first downs, and then they just went away from it. And like the play calling, it just reverted back to what we've seen. And I, I don't even know what to say. Like, just watching this game, it was really a tale of two halves. I don't remember a single play action in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a couple. I've got a sh- – well, I was going to say I've got a shit memory, so maybe that's it. But I, I legitimately don't remember a single one. But it was – yeah, it was absolutely ri- ridiculous. 
Josh, isn't it hilarious? Well, I mean, there's a couple hilarious things. One, that the Bucks scored on a screen pass touchdown. But two, <laughs> of all the bad things about the Bucks offense, like throughout the whole season, I'm not just talking specifically about this one game. The one minor positive that you could turn to is like, all right, well, the Bucs don't really turn the ball over that much. Tom Brady only had a few interceptions on the season. And then finally, finally, as The Rock would say, they build the lead. Like, they're up 17-3. to three. <laughs> They finally do everything else right that we were mad at them for not doing the whole season. They finally get that done. And then they're like, nah, now we're going to start turning the ball over. It's like <laughs> you do everything right. And then you just regress to everything that you were. And the one good thing you had going for you, you immediately mess it up. It's just, it's out of this world. It's its almost impressive. They outdid themselves, like I said earlier. It, it is something. I mean, you know, I think we're being too negative. I, I really do. I, first of all, it was only four turnovers because technically the Geo fumble thing that's not considered one because it's a turnover on downs yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so there's the first one bucks catch a break yeah right right only four turnovers and why are we being so critical of a division leading team yeah that is true they are yeah yeah i mean (laughs) the winners just as good yeah they're just as good as the chiefs the bills vikings the eagles right up there the eagles yeah the 49ers This is like, I mean, um, I think I've used all this. division. We should do that as what do these teams have in common? The yeah. Bucks, the 49ers, the Vikings, the, the Eagles, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Titans, I think still are there. And now the Bengals. What do all these teams have in common? They're all division leaders. This Proven is like, um, I think I've used this, uh, <laughs> this, this analogy before, but there's that meme. It's from an episode of SpongeBob when like, the whole town is like burned down and everything because SpongeBob and Patrick are trying to do something. And SpongeBob's like, We did it, Patrick. We saved the city. And that's like exactly that's exactly what Tampa Bay being in first place in the NFC right. South. I want to put that side by side with the the Patreon at the Krusty Krab where everything's like burning down. Yeah. Like, this is hard. No, that wasn't Krusty Krab. That was a different one. But yeah, it's like a dog sitting at a table, everything's burning down. He's like, It's fine. This is fine. Yeah, uh, we have another super chat to get to um, in just a moment, but uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about our friends over at the Seminole Hard Rock Casino, where if the Bucks can't win, at least you can win by uh, heading over to the casino. Just the way you like it. Me and my wife decided we'll have some fun. I was playing a two-cent machine. Six bets in, I hit a jackpot. $117,000. Hi, my name is Tara, and I won over $500,000 playing slot. I do this full-time, and I would not change it for the world. I'm Gloria. I won over $2 million at Seminole Hard Rock Casino. I went and bought a bunch of jewelry. <laughs> my name is Mike, and I won over $350,000. I love playing back rock because it is different. When you pull in that car and you flip over that nine, beating that eight, can't miss. I'm Jimmy. I won a half million dollars in a slot tournament at Seminole Hard Rock in Tampa. Even a blind squirrel can get a nut sometimes. <laughs> my name is Philip, and I won 215000 on Blazing Sevens. Put my last $40 on the table, next thing you know, bam, 215000 jackpot. I hit that bad boy. I didn't realize how much it would change my life. You only live once. Have fun with it. Right. Anybody can win at Seminole Hard Rock in Tampa. know when you can win big over at the Seminole Hard Rock Casino in Tampa. You probably win a lot more than the Bucks did. Uh, we had a super chat just found. Brandon Burkhart, 699 Canadian. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, he says, Brady was kept clean in the first half, and then he got eight alive in the third quarter. Can't stand coaching on 50-plus uh, yard field goals. Uh, four straight turnovers is rare. So we had a lot of people in the comments uh, and appreciate everyone that was watching and listening. Uh, some people were saying this game's on Tom Brady. Others are saying that it wasn't. Uh, Josh, I'm curious to get your thoughts uh, about that because it kind of goes with you know Brandon's comment. And we appreciate Brandon for the super chat again. Uh, do you look at this game as, as Brady's fault? Some people are saying Brady's wash. I don't agree with that. Um but there was two interceptions. He fumbled it on on the sack. 
So just curious what your thoughts are about that. I, I think I tweeted it during the game. I think it, was, it potentially was the worst half of football of his career. Uh, and I wow. think I did that in the third quarter. Um, this, I mean, it's partially on him. Uh, were some of the things surrounding him falling apart and you could see he was trying to press, he was trying to overcome. And that's a kind of a common theme this year. Right. So like last couple of years, he's had good protection. Yeah. When he's got good protection, he can, you know, his mechanics are great and he can make, make all the throws he needs to. Um, this year his receivers aren't getting open even worse than, than years past. And they've never been great separators. And then uh, kind of happened again, this, this game, you see, he had to put the ball into very tight windows and the offensive line, as, as the commenter put, you know, um, just collapsed in the, and he was trying to overcome it. And in doing that, he pressed his mechanics were flawed he made poor decisions, and that led to a lot of the turnovers, and he's got to own that part of it, and I'm sure he does. I mean, Brady's always held himself, along with everybody around him, accountable. Uh, it's not all on Brady. He's certainly culpable in that second-half collapse, 100%. Adam, how do you see it? I, I don't really hmm. – I mean, it's on the players, definitely. Uh, it's not just a Tom Brady thing. It's – encapsulated by the whole team offense and defense and mm -hmm. special teams tom brady played a big part in it it's really started with the special teams but like i said before they really just beat themselves and i kind of found like Bowles' press conference interesting when he said the last three games we got to save our season they really have to show something in these last three games Without question. And it's kind of annoying because that's essentially what Bull said last week. Like, we're going to find out who we are, like who really wants it. And then look like you wanted it for just a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. They did find out who they were. Yeah. <laughs> They're frauds and he's a coward. <laughs> I, I don't think I, they... Josh, I... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think they really trusted themselves holding the lead against the Bengals. Like, the way that they played, I don't know. I, right, I, I hear you. But then why not say... Like, why get conservative Conservative all of a sudden? Why not be like, hey, uh, this worked for us in the first half. Let's just do exactly that once again. And then, you know, if it burns us, it burns us, and we go down swing. But we didn't see any of that. And, like, the coaches have made poor decisions, but I think they're smart enough to realize, hey, we've been a struggling offense all season long. We finally found something that worked. And they just immediately – went away from it. And Josh, I completely agree with you. You were talking about it before. And Adam, you can back me up because I was saying this on the game day stream when it was about nine minutes ago uh, in the last quarter. And they got, they were deep, deep, deep back in their own zone. And they got stopped on, on third down. He got tackled a yard short. And I'm like, well, I think they should go for it. Why aren't they going for it? Why aren't they going for it? You have nine minutes left, and you're down. I think they were down 10 at the time. Like, you're not going to get the ball back that much. This is way different than when they were punting it with, like, seven minutes to go against the Saints and down two scores. The Saints are way more inept than the Cincinnati Bengals, who just went to the Super Bowl last season and got better on offense because they have, the, they have a better offensive line than they did the year before. So that's the cowardice right there. I totally agree with you. Oh, from that standpoint, we got another super chat from Eric. So thank you so much, Eric. Another 999 super chat. He wants to know, when do we start talking about actual firings in all caps, firings? And was that three, four exclamation points right there? I don't think we're, we're not going to see any firings in this for the rest of the season. I mean, they, they have three games left. They still somehow, some way could win the division. It's just, you're not going to change it right now. That'd be a little too much turmoil going on. With that said, Byron Leftwich is all but gone after this season, just the way that it's been going. And if they lose out, and at this point, they can't beat, they can't, it, it's not a lock in any of these games. If they lose out, especially to the Cardinals, who might be on their third-string quarterback on Christmas and then lose the division by losing to either the Falcons or the Panthers, would not surprise me at all if Todd Bowles is fired, too. If you go down losing four or five in a row, it would not shock me. Now, if they win a game and they win the division, then I think Bowles gets another year. This is clearly not the situation that any of them want to be in. Yeah. 
going back to uh, what you talked about in terms of that fourth down decision. So, um, you know, it was fourth and one. They were on their own 11. And uh, there's this really great uh, Twitter account. It's called Fourth Down Decision Bot. It was created by a guy named Ben Baldwin, I believe, of The Athletic. Um, so basically, at that point, the Bucks, um, I mean, they weren't, their, their probability to win was very small. But if they had gone for it and succeeded, their win percentage would have gone up to 8%. If they had gone for it and failed, their win percentage would have dropped to 3%. Okay. If they punted, which they ended up doing, their win percentage went to 4%. So failing on fourth down, if you had gone for it, changed your winning percentage from punting by 1%. However, <laughs> if you they had converted, they would have pr- improved it by over 5%. So it's a strong go for it kind of thing by, um, from analytics. And, and it would have increased their win probability by 1.8%. It was, it was absolutely the right decision to to go for it there. And again, the cowardice of just punting it away. And they they literally, in my opinion, they have punted their season away on that decision, right? Because I don't see this team winning the next three in a row, which I don't see them winning the last two, <coughs> you know, I, I, which is what they need to do in order to win the division. I don't see it happen. Honestly, if I mean, we'll, we'll see what's up with Colt McCoy. For those that don't know, backup quarterback for the Cardinals, Colt McCoy, who's now the starter because, um, what's his name? Kyler Murray, <laughs> not to say a different quarterback. Uh, Kyler Murray is out for the season. Uh, he got a concussion in this game, whoever they played today. Um, obviously, that's a very serious injury that you don't know if he's going to be able to play next week. But if Colt McCoy plays, I mean, I might even pick the Cardinals over the Bucs because they've shown that they can play like somewhat adequately with um with Colt McCoy as as their starting quarterback. And I mean, the only reason the Bucs are in first place is because the uh the Panthers lost today. They lost to the Steelers and the Saints lost to the Falcons. So once again, it's like a it's a four-team race. Like this might not get decided until the last week of the season, just because all of these teams are um, are are so bad. But Adam, do you see the Bucks winning this division? And I'll ask you a separate question: Is there any any positivity that we can take from maybe an individual performance uh, from a Bucks player? Because as a team, clearly not. It was a collapse of epic proportions. Uh, but yeah, what do you say? So both great questions. Now, in the first half, J.C. Allen, he was the only one that picked the Bucks to win this week. And I was like, I might be on a raft on my way to that island, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> now that ship has sailed. The raft, it ended up sinking in the middle of the ocean. But looking forward to these last three games, the long-term ramifications of these three games, because they need to win at least two or three of these games, which – we haven't really seen the Bucs play that well this season. And if we're not seeing them play well this season, Josh, you wrote a great article this week about the cap situation in 2023. And will the Bucs even keep any of the coordinators? We mentioned Byron Leftwich. What will they do with their defensive coordinator situation, their special teams coordinator? Will Bulls return? There's Keith just Armstrong so many questions. And Byron Leftwich are on this coaching staff next year. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many questions to this team and not many answers. We saw answers for one half and yeah. I like this comment from Grizz. I'm just rooting for Mike to get his 1000 yards. Yeah. Mike Evans was a, a positive note again in the first Mm -hmm. half, like made a ton of catches, had over 70 yards. Of course, his, his best play was taken back by the blindside block by Chris Godwin. So even when things are going well, they weren't, um, all the way going well. Um, let's go back real quick uh, about the, the Giovanni Bernard situation because um, our Pewter Report account tweeted out two videos. I'd recommend you guys checking it out if you haven't seen it yet. The first one says, Bucks running back Giovanni Bernard tries to dodge the media instead of answering questions about the botched fake punt. In the second video... Uh, he answers a question or two, and uh, I haven't he watched the thing. video. So, 
So he, I, I watched it. He gave the same exact answer. You could tell he was very perturbed that he had to even answer questions. Um, and he just kept reciting basically the same exact thing, which was, it's on me. It's on 25. That was on me. He initially said there was a miscommunication and then just defaulted to that. You could tell he was very upset. He did not want to talk to the media. And I think from the way that uh, the Pewter Report account uh, uh, construed it was, it seems like Geo did not know that that was the play. Whereas Todd right. Bowles in his press conference said he should have known or that he was aware. Um, initially, when I saw it live, I almost thought that Geo just didn't expect the snap to happen at that moment. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it it would it would seem based on the way our pewter report account it has um, laid those those tweets out is that Geo was just unaware that that was the play, which if that's the case, I mean, again, another nail in the coffin of Keith Armstrong. How do you right. know the guy? <laughs> how does the guy who's supposed to get the ball not know that he's going to get the ball? Right. He's, yeah. He's, I mean. The, the special teams was almost just as bad as the offense, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But Adam, you, you mentioned like going on a raft, going to an island, you know, it kind of reminds me of like Pirates of the Caribbean when um, Johnny Depp's character, Captain Jack Sparrow, is on his own island. And they're like, oh, like when he got kicked off the Flying Dutchman or whatever it was. And they're like, how'd you get off that island? And blah, blah, blah. And he finds his way back. He drank a lot of rum and everything. But when I think of pirates, of course, I think of the official beer, PeterReport.com, uh, Pirate Republic. They are based out of the Nassau, Bahamas, and are uh, coming to Florida, invading Florida, just in time for football season and the holiday season. Beer brings people together to celebrate life. That means celebrating it in the spirit of the original pirate code, which is a sense of belonging. You have the Long John Pilsner in the red can, my personal favorite. It's perfect for tailgating or having fun at the beach. Take no quarter IPA in the green, so you can mix the red and green Christmas colors. It's the best IPA that you'll drink and packs a little extra punch with that 7.2% alcohol. You can also drop an orange slice in the golden haze of piracy Belgian wit beer and enjoy that pirate life that's over in the gold can on the right side over there or left. It does a mirror image to those watching. Anyway, um, all great great beers really uh enjoy it you can get them at uh total wine and more lucan's liquors party liquors and select abc liquor stores in the greater tampa bay area they are expanding across the state of florida which is a fantastic thing i get my pirate republic at the uh, abc liquor store so live life on your terms and drink like a pirate with pirate republic beer but yeah as i was alluding to before i mean each phase was bad at one point or another but even besides the botched fake punt whatever it was with giovanni bernard special teams was bad besides that you know ryan suck up adam we could talk about it ryan suck up missed uh, a 50 yard field goal which in today's nfl you should be making a 50 yard field goal josh you seem really uh hyped up about something uh you're muted i was gonna say it helped me uh hit my under my underdog play Oh yeah, there you go. I had him at, at minus uh, or at under one and a half field goals. He hit one, and and my play actually hit. So there's a little plug for underdog. Made myself uh, a nice little thirty dollars there. Nicely done, nicely done. Yeah, I didn't even come close to hitting mine. I had the Evans over receptions, but I had the over on the passing yards for Joe Burrow. And when you start every drive at your own third at the opponent's thirty yard line, <laughs> doesn't matter how many times you get the ball. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it wasn't even just the suck-up missed field goal. I mean, Devin Tompkins, we gave him a lot of praise, myself included. A lot of praise last week for what he did as a returner. Had that big 50-yard return, 54-yard return um, to open up the third quarter uh, in San Fran. This week, not the same results. I think he was a little excited about, again, because he's from Fort Myers. It's about like a two, two-and-a-half-hour drive. Friends and family in the crowd. I think he wanted to you know, impress them. And I understand that, but there were some returns. He should have had no business of taking out, got tackled at like the 15 to 10. There was one where he broke a tackle, but he was going backwards. So he even lost more yards. Uh, there was a questionable punt, not the first one in the game where he caught it on a bounce, but there was a second one where I felt like he could have like ran up and at least caught it. And even if you don't get 
any momentum moving forward, you at least save like five or 10 yards the way that it bounced and then went to him. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think you should get demoted or anything like that. The Bucks will have to make a decision though, because uh, they elevated him from the practice squad and this was only his second game, but he was elevated from the practice squad in week five, I believe. And he was an inactive. So last week was his first game, but he's been elevated three times. And that's the most you can do Yep. Uh, for it's the NFL league rule. You can only elevate a player three times. So the Bucks will have to decide if they want to officially make him the new kick and punt returner and give him a roster spot on the 53 man roster, or if they want to go in a different direction. So they have to decide that. But Adam, that was just a long way of saying like special teams screwed up a lot too. And I think it's getting masked because of all of the turnovers that went on in, in the third quarter specifically. Oh, definitely. Uh, the special teams, they got the turnover train rolling and then the offense conducted the rest. Yeah. If the special teams <laughs> that was good. actually, if the special teams actually would have played competently and got the team in better field position, maybe we wouldn't be looking at the game the same way. Now it, it's not all on Tompkins. Um, but he finally learned his lesson on the third kickoff return. He waved his arms and he's like, touchback. He doesn't yeah. want it. <laughs> but I feel like Tompkins brings another dynamic to the offense. I still see him as the return man. It was nice seeing him get his first reception, get like a little sweep play. Again, an end around, some creativity, yeah. and then gone. It's gone. But, Absolutely yeah. gone. All right, Josh, where do the Bucks go from here? Like, <laughs> what? What? We know what needs to change, obviously. Like, but do they? Do they? That's the big question. <laughs> okay. That's the big question. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you thought for maybe a half that they had figured it out. I mean, they were doing everything that that others, ourselves included, had called for, and to positive results. But something you had mentioned was like, you know, the second half. I, I would even say going back to the first half, you started to see. They just have this way that they want to conduct their team. And they are so beholden to it. It's almost uh, like a religious belief that this is how we need to run our team. And you could see it starting to creep back in <laughs> even as the as the first half waned on, right? First two drives, you saw the play action. You know, it was like right. a 50-50 split run pass on first down. You saw the creativity. And then the, the third drive, all runs on first down, right? Like they went back, like left, which was like, okay, now that I've thrown this out there, the other team will think that's where we're going. Now I can go back to what I really think works. And it didn't. The third drive ended in a punt, right? And then the fourth drive, he went back to, you know, play action and things like that. I think he had one where like, uh, it, it just, you could see that that's what they wanted to get back to. And, mm. and as soon as they thought they could, they ran right back to everything that they've been doing wrong all year. And I think left, left, which has a shrine in his home with the Arians playbook. And he just puts it on a pedestal. The, the playbook's fine. It, it's the, it's where, what you call when it's so siloed and, and so predictable in certain instances that it makes it easy to, to cover, you know, but the playbook's fine. It's, it's like Byron left, wants to win with one hand behind his back. You know, like I don't need first down. Screw first down. I'm yeah. going to show you. I'm going to score points just using two downs. No, it's not working. Yeah, he, you know, he's like, all right, I, I please the haters a little bit with motion play action throwing first down. Now that I got them to be quiet, now I can run my offense. Right, which, you know, exactly. Hasn't worked. I, at I feel all. like that's uh, been a similar theme for weeks. Too. Oh, like the years. first drive always goes well, yeah. and then it's like back yeah. to the same. Yeah, it, but it, it's really not not that new. It's the difference between this year and 2021 and 2020 is they had better players on the offensive line who were producing better, which gave Brady the time to execute at a, such a high level that we're it's turning out to be unsustainable. And uh, at least for this year. And, and that's the big difference is they relied so much on Brady to bail them out. And he was able to do it for two years. And this year, mm -hmm. There has been a drop off in his play. People accuse me of saying there has. I, I 100% say that there's been a drop off in Brady's play where I have huge differences with people who come at me about this 
is he's still playing at a high enough level that if they did other things, he could run this offense successfully. You saw that in the first half. They could beat anyone. Proved my point. They could beat anyone the way that they played in the first half. And that's why he's not washed. Exactly. Whether you want to look at how great the offense played or the defense just completely shutting down the Bengals, getting a pass rush going. And then, yeah, it just all changes so quickly. And and the narrative changes too, which, you know, is is absolutely unfortunate. Uh, We'll get to one or two more comments before we uh, wrap the show up. But first, let's hear a message from Age Rejuvenation. As we age, our hormones decrease, both for men and women. I was tired all the time, had no sex drive. I was groggy. I felt like I was 80 years old because everything hurt. I came to Age Rejuvenation because... I was tired all the time. Bioidentical hormones has really made such an impact in people's lives. I actually enjoy shopping now. Got my, all my energy back. Mind is sharp. I feel like I'm 18 again. It was perfect for me. Get with age rejuvenation. Do it now. Don't wait. Call age rejuvenation today. Better, feel better, have better sex using age rejuvenation. Uh, I could help you out with testosterone therapy, peptide therapy, uh, stem cell therapy as well. You've heard John and Scott, John Gilmore, Scott Reynolds talk about it a ton and how much it's helped them, whether it's helping them feel younger, lose some weight, have more uh, you know, energy to go about their day, no, uh, no naps in the middle of the day. Uh, so check out Age Rejuvenation and how it can help you. Let's get to uh, you know, maybe a comment or two, see what's going on. Yeah, before oh just that what a chat from marquise davis thank you marquise uh for the five dollar super chat he says as someone who has seen every brady game he has just been off this year i don't know if it's the personal stuff but something is amidst i think josh you kind of answered this already but i think it's just more of he hasn't been as good as he was his first two years here in Tampa, I think we can all point to certain throws that he hasn't made. Um, but again, not off enough where the team has to be this bad by any means. Yeah, uh, go back to 2019 as last year in New England. There's some, a lot of similarities there. It, it's uh, again, and, and you know, there's this there's this conversation in football circles about like the top tier of quarterbacks and what defines them and. Most agree, they may not agree on who's in the tier, but they agree in terms of the cutoff is the top tier quarterbacks are able to just elevate above the circumstances around them, right? Bad offense, Burrow did it last year, right? Bad offensive line didn't matter. He was still able to execute the offense, even though he was pressured like 40% of of the dropbacks he was on. Uh, You saw Josh Allen kind of go beast mode last night against Miami where you know, they just went to a quarterback power run and he moved up field 45 yards and got them into field goal range to win the game. Um, you see Mahomes do it with with all of his magic, you know, from uh, time and time again. That's kind of that top tier. Brady was in that type tier through his, his processing, his, his ball placement, um, his ability to read a defense, all of those things for a very long time. I don't think uh, anyone will argue that he's in that class at this point. He's not a top three, not a top five quarterback. He's still in that top 10 to 12 range. And that type of quarterback is able to operate a system well, right? And the system Mm -hmm. that has been set up for Brady is one that requires him to have time, right? To get the ball downfield because the, 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 Deep shots are not nearly as plentiful as they were in 2020. What a lot of people may not know is they're right around the same as 2021. Um, His first year in Tampa Bay, Brady threw the ball 20 plus air yards or more, about 16% of his throws. Uh, Last year, that fell to 11%. This year, coming into this game, it was right around 10%, right? So those shots have, have basically evaporated from his first year. The difference between 2021 and 2020 is he's not connecting nearly as much. Last year, it was about 40% completion rating on those. This year, it's around 32%. That eliminates about 25% of those completions, right? Um, So, but those require the offensive line to give him the time to make those plays and occasionally for a receiver to get open. And that's the other thing that's, that's been plaguing this offense is Russell Gage separates the best out of all the Bucks receivers this year, and he's barely been on the field. 
Um, Chris Godwin <laughs> is not sad. the guy. Yeah. Chris Godwin is not the pre pre ACL injury Godwin and nobody should expect him to be his first year back. I mean, I think we're just over a year from when it happened now. Um, but he's not separating like he used to each week gets a little bit better. Um, Evans is not getting separation. So you have all these things around him that aren't doing well. And you see Brady trying to elevate above it. Like he was able to do in 2007 or even 2016 or 2017. And, and he just, he doesn't have that anymore, but you give him the time and you give him a receiver separating even a little bit. And again, the first half proved he can, he can execute that offense. He can put up 34 points a game. That's what they were on their way to. Yeah. Right. And that's plenty with this defense, but Adam, it, uh, when everything else falls off, he can't elevate above it. And that's where people expect him to be. And that's where you get this washed, you know, narrative. Right. I, I think people just see the Brady magic and expect like, Oh, what do you mean? He's not like absolutely perfect uh, the rest of the time. And, uh, you know, when they start losing, then it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's all the pundits being like, he's done, he's done. And I don't know, he tends to prove them wrong more often than not. Sure. Uh, before we sign off, Adam, any last comments about Brady or just uh, anything else regarding the book? Yeah, just kind of build off Josh's point. So we've seen for two decades uh, Tom Brady be when, when he's in a system, when he's in a structure like he was in New England, like the first two years in Tampa Bay when he has enough playmakers, he is that piece that carries a team to reach the pinnacle to reach the Super Bowl and now without those playmakers and the system around him not being as efficient as it has been in years past I agree that we've seen that narrative of him falling off but it's such a gradual decline from the six to seven like range to 12 to 13 and some of those metrics and not he's carried a team on his shoulders for two decades and he can show it in doses like we've seen in the Rams game like we've yeah. seen in the Saints game, he can still bring it, but it's unfair to expect that every single Sunday when everything around him is just falling apart. No, that's a, that's a good point, a good take, and I think we'll end it on that note. want to thank everyone that watched and listened to uh, today's tailgate show, game day show, and now this uh, pewter post-game show. We will have another pewter game day show going on Sunday on Christmas the tailgate show will start at 6.30, and then I'll be on for Peter Game Day show at 8.24, Fox First Cardinals. We'll see what goes on in that game. Um, that's going to do it for us today. We will have a show tomorrow uh, at 4 o'clock like we normally do on Monday. Further breakdown, extra comments from Todd Bowles, and see what's next for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and if the Bucs can, uh, can right this ship because they're still playing for a playoff spot. Believe it or not, as as number four wild. seed, baby. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wild as this has been in all the, the ways you didn't as bad as the season's been, you just gotta get into the dance and see uh what goes on from there. So for Adam, for Josh, I'm Matt saying thanks everybody for watching and listening, and we will see you tomorrow for another edition of the Peter Report Podcast. Out. Later.